The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou kato. Welcome to Business is Boring. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, we import over 400,000 tonne of new plastic and send up to 330,000 tonne of used plastic to landfill every year. It doesn't make a lot of sense. This is recyclable, valuable material, wasted. Critical are a company out to change this. They make things like table and bench tops, partitions and other feature materials for building from plastic waste, upcycling it into beautiful, low-carbon and endlessly recyclable materials. They've built out the business, partnered with a bunch of great brands and projects, and are working to create more pathways and opportunities. Co-founder and CEO Rui Peng joins us now to talk their journey, making something new, and overcoming everything the world can throw at them, right down to tornadoes. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Tanakwe hoa, I love the um, enthusiasm of that intro, bro. Yeah. It definitely uh, makes me want to listen <laughs> to what you have to say, bro. Um, I love what, you're to be up, here. love what you're up to. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people would have seen um, bits and bobs of what you've been up to recently, the uh, Kingi uh, collaboration on the chopping boards. And <laughs> anyone who's been to Commercial Bay would have seen the beautiful Kokako cafe installation awesome. that your company's worked on. Uh, so it's such a tr- treat to get to chat to you today. Well, kia ora, bro. Um, lovely to meet you, bro. Uh, so I'll, I'll give a real quick, um, real quick mihi. So uh, kia ora, kia ora, uh, kia ora koutou. Um, ko te uh, ko te auanga te awa, ko pangtaku tipunga, ko manchu rawa, ko ha, um, han oka iwi, ko rasko sao tuku kainga, uh, no China, hauru kuro peeing tuku ingoa. So, um, so kia ora, bro. Um, yeah, a bit of a background. Alfano live in Pukitapapa. Um with Pukitapapa is our Maunga and Te Oranga, Oakley Creek is, is, is our awa. Um, Alfano actually from, I'm Chinese, um, but I get mistaken lots uh, to be Māori, probably is, is the co-founder of a Māori-owned business. Uh, my business partner, Adam, he's uh, Ngāti Raukawa and Ngāti Kahununu. So um, yeah, it's um, between him and I, I, I suppose critical, we have a, um, you know, I suppose we're, we're all on a learning journey ourselves, but we do identify ourselves and Having a co-papa that wants to outwork um, kaitiaki tanga and being good ancestors. Um, so, so tēnākwe, bro. Um, I really appreciate the space that you've created, or you you fellas have created, um, and having us, uh, yeah, share some of our fakaro and, and over this corridor, bro. So, awesome to be here, bro. Ah, well, thank you for being here. And to take it back to the beginning, you studied and taught architecture, right? What got you into being interested? In buildings and materials, and you know, re- really, really interested to dig a bit further into all of those principles that you bring to the company later too. Oh, beautiful, bro! I, I, I love, to, I love the joke that um, my dreams as an architect didn't work out. So um, instead of that, I get to live vicariously through the through the dreams of being an architect through my mates and through our products. Um, but I, I suppose, um, 
Yeah, I think architecture, you know, growing up, did a lot of art. Um, my mum, uh, you know, she was an immigrant, but she was, um, when she was back in China, she was a mechanical engineer. Um, my dad was like a geologist sort of thing. Growing up, did a lot of art and design and kind of tinkered away with, you know, technologies. And while it was at uni, you know, built my own CNC machine and 3D printers and stuff. So I suppose in many ways, it's kind of, um, it was sort of the coming together of, yeah, like of, 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 of I suppose, uh, having quite a creative upbringing in that, in that sense. Um, that led me to study architecture. Mm. And what led you to the interest in sustainability of the materials? Is yeah. you know, it's almost like that kind of you know tip of the iceberg kind of thing where everyone's very aware of the amount of plastic waste that they create when they come home from the supermarket with a hundred different packets and stuff, right? Yeah. Mm. But it's construction in the building industry that's a massive majority contributor to our <sighs> landfill problem, right? Yeah. Mm. So uh, there's probably two stories on that, bro. Um, the first story is uh, I think um, I, I did my architecture degree. Um, I worked for a firm for 10 months. And I, I remember sitting, I think I was, well, at the time, 23. I was sitting in the architecture firm. This would have been about, oh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I'm 34, shucks. Um, 11 or 10 years ago. Um, you know, for designers or architects of, you know, our generation, I don't know how old you are, bro, but I'm just going to extend that our generation, um, sustainability and like there's, there's a massive growing awareness to having beautiful spaces, but that are also durable and have minimal impact um, on the environments. So 10 years ago, like um, while there were some structures that existed to pave the way, it wasn't prominent, right? So I remember being a, a young architecture graduate, um, uh, work, we were working for a fit out for a far north airport. Um, and I was thinking to myself, man, like I, I really want to design a beautiful space that is uber or super refined, but I also want it to be really sustainable and, and, and good for the planet. Um, and there just wasn't any options there. I could, I could have chosen a material that was beautiful, like stone or engineered stone, but the carbon impact of that was so high and the waste would just go straight to landfill. Or I could choose a sustainable product. At the time, there wasn't really many there as options, but the ones that I could find were you know, pretty ugly, pretty unrefined. It didn't really quite fit the creative vision. So I suppose that's one of the, you know, I guess that's one part of the fuckapapa of Critical. Like we, we wanted something that didn't exist. So why not make it and build the technology to do it ourselves? The second part of it, bro, is um, I stumbled into Critical. Um, I even stumbled into business. So uh, I was mentoring a group of young people uh, where the school system didn't really work out for too well. We did it for about three years with the goal of teaching them how to use design and 3D printing and entrepreneurship to start their own companies and just quickly learned that if we wanted to have, if we wanted to continue this impact um, over the long term, over a long period of time, we actually have to create a scalable business with a great model to actually employ them and scaffold them into meaningful work. Um, so we were making products including furniture at the time, 2018 hits, um, China stopped buying the rest of the world's plastics to the green wall ban, and people started bringing us their materials, their plastics, um, and we effectively, um, over the next four years, um, did the R&D, took over intermediate school, um, and, you know, built the first generation of the technology of what we know as clean stone today. So, Stumbled into this bar and completely accidental. <laughs> <laughs> By stumbled, you mean worked really hard, long, <laughs> iterated, yeah. solved every problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, fair enough. That, and, that is, yeah. And tell us about the Cleanstone kind of hero product. As if people have seen it or if they've got it in their head, it looks kind of beautiful like marble and it has mm. a kind of matte and, 
you know, um, yeah, stone, you know, feel oh, to it, right? And yeah. can it can be quite a long way away from what people might think about if they think about um, soft plastics or plastic kind of, um, you, you, you know, things like barriers for... Um, you, you know, uh, roadworks or road mm. cones or some of the more traditional uses of soft plastic. So how did you get to such a kind of cool, refined product? Yeah. And yeah, what was the process to get there? Yeah, I, I guess um, we took a very customer-centric approach in the development of Cleanstone. So one of the things we observed, I mean, if this is a fair observation, or my opinion, was that when, when 2018 sort of happened um, and China stopped being the world's biggest customer for you know, recycled materials, what the traditional business model for recyclers is that they take a product, uh, a waste product that's already of low value, they add a whole bunch of value to it, they will shred it, they will clean it, they will palletize it into little resins, and then they have to go and sell it to other manufacturers. Now the issue is, the manufacturers that they were selling it mostly to are all injection-molded, mass-produced, single-used products. So, so that product on the other side we're still high volume and low value. And one observation can be made is that, you know, if, if, if it's not observed carefully, our recycling infrastructure is a bit of a race to the bottom in terms of having to, and, and it doesn't incentivize us to do any, you know, um, in anything else of our plastics, eh? Because the, the, the economics didn't make sense. The economy of the circular economy um, back when we observed didn't make sense. So um, having a background in design and architecture and in design thinking, um, an entrepreneurship is the coming together of desirability, feasibility, and viability, and desirability is, is the human-centered element that you can you can effectively um, spend millions of dollars to build a really beautiful technology and have it you know and have it change the world. But if you've got customers that don't understand it and don't want it, then you've kind of wasted your money building a rocket ship that you don't really know where, you, where you're going to take it to. So. I suppose for us, you know, I was the first customer that I designed this really for myself and for my for my mates who cared about sustainability and who cared about beautiful architecture. Um, and that process of refining the taste and creating little prototypes and, and pitching it to them and getting their feedback and that continuous iteration over five years or four or five years um, to ensure that we actually had customers it solves a real problem that gave us then the confidence and the backing to then, you know, raise our friends and family and, and now about to close a, uh, a seed investment round. So, yeah. And those product use cases, like, yeah, yeah tell us about that as like the bench tops and the like where it looks like kind of, you know, a marble yeah. from the future or yeah. something, right, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, they're real statement pieces. Like mm. they're adding a lot right. to the story of the places you're working with, right? Mm. So it's hard to describe sort of over um, over podcast, but basically, um, you know, the, the, the clean stone is effectively like a slab of decorated, you know, maybe the closest, one close view is that it, it can look like a terrazzo mm -hmm. or it can look like a hyper-refined, you know, like neutral panel, like a marble or a stone. It's got the ability to, you know, veer off in any direction as we can. It's made from a solid block of recycled plastic. So there's no veneer, there's no edge banding that peels off and water gets in and the MDF laminate swells and you have to chuck the whole whole thing out. Um, and it's really durable. So you can drive a truck over a clean stone and it will spring back. You can smash it with a hammer and it will not break. And when we have visitors in, in Critical, um, I always go, hey, have you, you got 50 hits. If you crack it, I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they don't tell them, hey, if they don't crack it, well, you actually owe me 50 bucks now. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so Clingstone is designed to be a sustainable, durable, and beautiful alternative to laminates, engineered stone, 
um, timber-based panels, composites used for, you know, non-permanent fixtures, decorative panels, tabletops, um, inbuilt joinery, cabinetry, uh, covering surfaces, decorative wall panels, decorative ceiling panels, even floors and bathrooms and wet areas. Um, anything that's non-permanently fixed to a building, Cleanstone can do. And in terms of that, you know, raw material, the the single-use plastics and the like mm. that you're going in, I reckon they're going to look back in the future, eh? And they're going to go, these humans of this age were pretty out of it. They went to all this effort to extract this oil that was like a, you know, resource that took millions of years to, <laughs> um, to, to get into its form. And they destabilised countries and started wars and, you know, had this mm. massive economic engine. And then they get it back and they have these amazing facilities that turn it into these phenomenal uses. Yeah. And then they just chuck them out. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> the, the actual yeah. raw ingredients in there are quite amazing. Like, you know, plastic mm. gets a bad rap. But yeah. it's pretty amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, like, how are you able to help create, like, more you know, that value so that people actually start mm. to look at yeah. these things for the value they hold. I, well, I can probably answer it in three ways. The first mm. way I'll answer it, bro, is that, um, you know, if we go back to the fucker-puppet of plastics, right? Like, um, plastics were never designed to be a single-use material. It's actually a wonder material. Like, it's it's amazing. It's meant to be last... It's, it's designed to last lifetimes. And it's only at somewhere in the, sort of in the mid-century where um, manufacturers realise that they can make more money mass-producing single-use plastics. That's where sort of the, 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 I suppose, kind of like the co-papa of, of his initial intent kind of veered off in many ways. So... Um, think about your Tupperware. You know, you probably got your grandparents, um, if they were your your your, your cousins, your aunties and uncles. Like they still have Tupperware, and it's just good. And so, in many ways, you know, with with, with critical, we're trying to change the corridor to return plastics back to its first principles. That this is meant to be a durable material that lasts a lifetime and innate. We, we're trying to return that to its original, I guess, fucker papa was made for. Um, so now the second the second part on our part, bro, is um is that we deliberately pick the markets, like in the construction space, where the value of construction products, there's a massive spectrum to play with. So you, yes, you have in Bunnings, you go and buy a bit of like timber, a bit of like sheet apply for like 80 bucks, you know, like 40 bucks sometime. But you also go into this other end where people will spend $50,000 to secure a Caesar stone or Ponamu, you know, like tabletop kind of a thing too. So it's a it's a really um, ductile market to be able to communicate the value of, of Cleanstone. And the other thing is that like when you're thinking about buildings, you're thinking about longevity, you're thinking about durability. Buildings typically don't get stripped out or seen as single use. So to be able to have a material to perform and to showcase in already a, 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 an area, a market, where the value range is very high, gives us the ability to actually upcycle the materials and changing behaviours. Like if you, you know, between you and I, if we we're, if we were sitting on a clean stone tabletop right here, right now, it changes your understanding of how we can use and think about plastics too. So I suppose those are the three ways that, yeah. Yeah, because we don't notice the plastics around us, right? On, a, yeah. <laughs> on a veneer or on a tabletop. Oh. And so how did you actually go about, you know, once you realised you were onto something and that, you know, with your understanding of architecture and materials, like something that could play that role. How did you go about getting those first customers and first partnerships and establishing the company? Yeah, so I'll probably say, you know, like, first of all, like, hats off to um, 
like companies and brands that's been in the circular economy and sustainability space for a long time. Like, um, you know, we're standing on their shoulders. You know, they, they've championed the awareness of the circular economy and sustainability. We you know 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the corridor around this is not where we are today. It's, it's much harder to get that kind of traction, you know, 15, 10 years ago. So luck is on our side, really, you know, to launch in this period of time. Um, was, was that part of your question again? Yeah, how, how did you how, get those first people to okay. be using it and getting these products yeah. into market and get those first partnerships? Yeah, yeah. So there's two ways that we've always um, sort of done critical. One is that like, um, so we've noticed over the last, particularly over the last five years, um, big organisations um, are experiencing pressure from their investors and, their, and a new generation of customers pushing them to be sustainable. So um, millennials, I, th- I believe, by 2030 will control over, um, oh man, this number, but trillions, like uh, the trillions of dollars of the global economy, right? And the way, the, the way that the purchasing power of millennials is I put my money back where my values are. And if we then look at our kids, um, the next generation is even more hardcore. But I think this intergenerational shift, it was point A, because that then brought about and put pressure on massive organizations or household brands to actually invest in sustainability. We're actually putting pressure and questioning them, where is that McDonald's toy or where is that plastic product and packaging go at the end of life? Um, and you're either with us, you do something about it, or we stop buying your products. <laughs> so that's that's been something that's really positive. We're also seeing shifts in government, right, and in procurement of large organizations too. <clears throat> so for example, um, in governments and in big organizations, because of this pressure from investors and customers, they've, you know, subscribed to GreenStar. So in the procurement of all future building, we want to have minimal carbon impact and minimal impact on building material waste landfill. So these are the forces that are on our side to be able to then push and and enforce, not force, but, you know, kind of encourage designers and building professionals to actually, and building product manufacturers like ourselves to, to help move into that future as it becomes more and more relevant and dominant. And, and it's such a good thing, you know, and um, given the, the recent experiences we've had with climate disaster, with floods and tornadoes and extreme weather events, we're actually, you know, we're, we're probably running a little bit behind on that, to be, to be fair, and we're running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you got, you mentioned the tornado there. Tell us what happened there as, you know, pretty early on into um, the company starting to have its own serious operations. Mm. What happened? Yeah, man. Um, so, so what do we do? We The, the first um, four to five years, we bootstrap Critical, the first generation, um, by taking over a Wesley Intermediate School's woodwork shop. So mm-hmm. we we sort of decked out the old 1940s woodwork shop that has, probably hasn't been updated for a while um, with, you know, material science. It turned it into a lab, basically, and we were prototyping, you know, the, the, the process and the tech to be able to make it work. Um we then, while we were doing that, we were in front and pitching, you know, all the all the corporates and the customers. Hey, we were like, hey, look, we understand that in your sustainability report that you released in, uh, in 2018, you have a target of zero plastics and landfill by 2030. We think we can help you with that. And to our surprise, you know, quite a few of them goes, yeah, let's do it, kind of thing. So we had enough momentum, we had enough projects or social proof to then go, let's raise a friends and family round. So. We apply for the StartMate Accelerator. They take usually every year. There's about 500 startups that apply from Aussie and, and New Zealand, but they only take in about 16, and we were really lucky to be one of the 16. They invested. Uh, they're backed by Blackbird sort of ventures as well as um, all sorts of different really you know amazing people in the ecosystem across um, Aotearoa in Australia. 
Um, so we got into that. that. That was the first bit of race. We also did a round of friends and family investment round. So like people really just trusting us, taking a, a really massive risk. So we had about, you know, so 125 plus 250 plus a few grants. We had about maybe 475 grand in terms of the friends and family, this pre-seed investment round. And we put all that money into the first generation um, micro factory with this, with this factory that we developed and leased um, in the start of 2021. 2021, in, uh, we took over from April. And between April and June, we secured everything and it was ready to go. And I remember we finished. Adam and I finished. We were excited. It was the 16th of June, 2021, and then on the 17th of June, um, it was a Saturday morning. We, had, we were meant to have a meeting with an engineer um, to talk about, you know, mould designs. And I was driving in on Cavendish, and I was like, what the fuck? Why can't I, why is all the power in the petrol station down? And I was just, I was so confused, and I was driving in. But feel, I was like, why do I see bits of roof and cars, you know, like um, <laughs> floating in the middle of the road? And then it dawned upon me as I drove closer, and I heard on the news that there was a giant-ass tornado, and our, our factory was right in the flight path of that tornado. So the tornado came the day after we set up, ripped open half of our roof like a can opener, destroyed all of our machines, like water-damaged everything. Um, we didn't have insurance at the time because we were, we were still, you know, we were still, like, talking about the best assessment process to assess what our premium is. Um, we didn't have that set up, and the, and the tornado came and it flattened us, eh? literally flattened us. So... Um, the six months then was a lot of favours, every favour we could pull, um, you know, that we did and pretty much rebuilt over six months and launched again at the start of last year. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was pretty pretty guttering, you know. You, it's it, it's hyper-demoralising when every day for six months I have to go into work and just f- find a swimming pool in our factory um, with no roof. Um, and I think there's one time we got our whānau to come because we, we, our factory is right under a flight path. You had this amazing, you know, like um, roof view of airplanes flying really low to go past. <laughs> so we're like, oh, who wants to come for a swim? Like, <laughs> <laughs> How do you come through something like that? Like, we, that must involve, you, you know, like those are the kind of moments where a lot of yeah. people don't keep going, right? Yeah, bro. Um, I think, uh, I think it's a, it's a combination of things, bro. I think... Um, you know, I probably attribute part of that to my own whānau and, and my own whakapapa and my upbringing where, you know, my my um, my parents grew up at the end of the Cultural Revolution over in China. Like, they were the first few, um, you know, like they were that first generation that got um, master's degrees. But when they decided, like many immigrants, to move to Aotearoa or whatever country that they go to in the 90s, um, yeah, like your degree and your experience just wasn't, People didn't care, like you know, probably yeah. So, so it uh, you know, like I I saw as a as a young fella, um, you know, my parents we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and I saw you know my mum and dad you know struggle to find their tūranga wai wai, like their place to stand and and retraining and um, you know trying to find work and starting as factory workers. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so that resilience from my Fano probably is a huge attribution, you know, to 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 the story. Um, yeah, and and for me, you know, growing up, there was a lot of fuckama about being Chinese in the '90s. It was a different place for immigrants. Um, used to get teased and mocked, and it probably wasn't until um, my Maori mates brought me onto onto the marae and into tikanga, where um, through Tao Maori, it actually helped me to reconnect with my own Chinese whakapapa. So that that's that's another side of it. My wife, you know, like the, the hero of the story is not me. The hero of the story is my whānau. and. And um, I don't think my wife knew what she was signing up for when we got married because um, 
you know, we we have similar values. We believe in going after what we, you know, what we what we felt was important. We believe in in a life of service to something greater than ourselves. And um, yeah, like I don't know how we, we made it work, but probably for about five years, we three us, her and I, three kids, we lived off thirty five grand a year. You know, just to just to be hyper creative, so we can fund you know our, our way and our dreams into making this happen. So my whānau is a massive part of that, and the mentorship and mates over the years, like it's a, it's a community, right? Like I'm never doing this on my own. Like I've always had people around me and mentors that support me through the hard times. Um, and, that, and that's really important, you know, important for me. And so I'm, I'm just a product of my environment, I suppose. That's magic. And we'll be back in a moment with Rui Ping to chat the journey to here, where Critical is today and where it's going next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome back to Business is Boring. So tell me about the scale of the business today. Like what are the operations that Critical has going on and what kind of projects and what kind of scale of stuff are you up to? Yeah, bro. Um, maybe I'll I'll start by the bigger picture and then we can sort of go down and, and make it more granular. Um, so, so Critical is a clean tech startup. Um, you know, if we look at, uh, I think if we look at plastics pollution and our climate crisis, those are the two biggest um, challenges of our generation, um, if not, you know, the generation after us as well. And we are running out of time, you know, to do the, to do the right thing. So Critical, you know, we are a deeply ambitious clean tech startup, um, you know, with the goal of being a billion dollar company um, yeah, for the next 10 years, if not less. Um, and it's not, um, it's not that we all want to do that because we want to be rich and buy mansions, <laughs> but it's that like you need a scalable solution to solve a global crisis. So the way that we want to do that at Critical is um, right now we have a pilot plant over in Monaco by the airports that we manufacture products. We're already manufacturing and selling products. Probably there's a lot more orders than our current ability to go through them fast enough. So we're, we're investing lots and lots of money into with the closing of this current investment round into building the next generation tech. And I guess our, our, our dream um, is to what we call to create a, a critical microfactory. So condense our technology into a footprint of a 40-foot shipping container. And the idea is that each shipping container will have the production capacity of 12,000 panels, take 840 tonnes of plastics out of landfill, and depending on the market that you're selling it to, generate approximately 3 mil revenue um, per 40-foot shipping container. And the goal for us as we grow, you know, grow our tech and grow our product and grow our brand in the market space is to then, you know, as a Māori-owned company, we want we want iwi and Māori to have the first right of refusal to become commercial partners to a critical microfactory so that we can grow and we can help to, you know, uffy the environmental and um, social 
you know, like social impacts that is already pre-written with a lot of iwi themselves. And as we go global, as we go scale, we want to offer First Nation um, tribal authorities the first right of refusal to become our commercial partners. So the idea is that we want to put a critical microfactory into every city in the world so that no city will ever again have to ship their plastics overseas to a Malaysia or Asia or somewhere that we don't know where we don't really know what it's going to become. And sometimes it probably just gets burnt into our atmosphere. But if we're able to use our tech and create an ecosystem where we can support um, the environmental growth and economic growth at the regions, you know, with, with the right partnerships, then we can grow wealth together. Um, and that's the dream. And, and for us, the product dream of Critical is that, you know, like in 10 years' time, you, you wouldn't even know. Like, it would just be normal that we're sitting on a clean stone bench that, you know, this, this uh, room has a... Uh, acoustic tile that's made out of clean stone, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's the ambition, bro, and we'll do our best to execute onto that dream. And along the way there, like, you know, you've got this part of building out the market for the mm. products yeah. and kind of, I guess, making them an obviously better choice and, and, and something that, you know, people understand and desire. But also a lot of work around the capability building to produce and manufacture and all of those kind of elements as well, right? Yeah. 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 Tell us about some of that work that you do yeah. in that capability building. Yeah, it's a it's a labor of love, eh? You know, it's um like it's it's not easy to try and balance um, you know, highly technical mechanical engineering in, in an R and D program, alongside that material science and formulation development, alongside that manufacturing products and, and the operations alongside that marketing and customer support and everything else. It's not easy. It, it's, um, you know, we're not a very big team. Like, it's probably, if we count everyone that's supporting us in Critical, including contractors, it's probably 10 of us, you know, and, and all the directors and stuff. So um, it's um, it's a journey, but yeah, it's, 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 all, it's a story of every startup, you know, journey as well. Um, we have to, for us, it's about... You know, it's, it's, it's basically just about everything has to align and match, right? Like, it's, it's no good for us if we close a, a super scalable global deal if the technology takes longer to be able to get there. So I think um, it's a really fun problem to solve. And yes, sometimes I do not sleep well at night. <laughs> um, but it's a journey that I wouldn't ask, for, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything else. In terms of your ideal customers or project, it's all products. Like, yeah, what? What does that look like? Yeah, so, well, first of all, is to know that we're not everything, we're not everything to everyone. You know, if um, if uh, if someone is purely making a decision and wanting to use materials for a numbers and trying to get the best deal sort of a situation, we're probably not at the stage to service them really well. Who we are looking for are retailers, hospitality brands, you know, any brands that has space, um, who have already made a commitment and an investment into sustainability, who holds a long-term view of their brand and for long-term outcomes, um, they want to use clean stone, where like it may be just a little bit more expensive than, say, a, a standard off-the-shelf building material. But actually, over the course of five years, this clean stone is actually going to be the cheaper product because the total cost of ownership for our material is much lower than just buying a cheap import from overseas and having to replace it multiple times within the same lifespan. So we are looking for brands, retailers that are forward-thinking. You know, H&M is doing some amazing mahi in this space. The Warehouse Group is doing some amazing mahi. We have, um, we have, um, you know, K1W1 is one of our investors. So, yeah, sustainable brands that are not paying lip service to it but are here for genuine transformation and change. Yeah, and those 
costs if you then start to count the cost of carbon, the cost of replacing them with other unrecyclable materials at the end of that five to seven year lifespan. If you start to account for these things, which good progressive businesses, right, and a lot more business is going to have to real soon, Mm. then those costs drop right down, I imagine. That's right. That's exactly right. Like um, to give you a really simple um, maybe idea is that you, you know, one of the things that you know perhaps um, brands do when they get materials is that laminate is a real popular material. Sometimes we import the laminate from China. Maybe you get the laminate, um, the MDF from China. It's for um, so one scenario is like they'll import it. They'll be I don't know fifty bucks, right? But then they have to then laminate the veneers over it. Um, so then there's a, there's the cost of that. So that's maybe let's say bring that to about. Uh, let's just say seventy-five bucks, and, and then you have the edge some pretty nasty stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're not they're not the best, day eh? Because the the glue and the binding agents that hold the dust together is uh, can be can be made from formaldehyde. Um, we actually don't accommodate for first of all the processes required, and even if that laminate panel is really cheap, um, within a period of of I don't know seven to ten year life cycle, depending on where it's made and how it's made, you might have to replace it. Um, so you're buying two laminate sheets, right? And then you're paying for the logistics. You're paying for someone to take it out. You're paying for someone to like try and fix it. You're paying for shipping. You're paying for landfill. And so the cost does stack up. Whether if you, you know, it's, it's a bit like if you like um, buy clean stone, it's a solid block of recycled plastics all the way through. It's already low carbon. Um, it's virtually indestructible. And it will fire out last, you know, it will last laminate by a margin of a lifetime if not like by a margin of at least twice, if not a lifetime. So even if we priced our products, let's just say you're buying a sheet of uh, clean stone for 400 bucks or 450 bucks, and compared to $130 laminate, our products would be the cheaper option by year five. So it'll pay for itself. And it brings a story. And it has the story. It brings yeah. a story. It brings an aesthetic. It brings a story and it brings some meaning to a place, right? Yeah. You can look at the material and see exactly what's gone into it. You can... Um, we can even integrate the plastics from our customers to turn them into clean stone. They can even send us their plastics and we'll turn them to clean stone. So every material will tell its story and will never look the same as well as the durability benefits and the, and the carbon benefits too. How's the journey been for you having to, you know, um, go from what was a kind of community project and then into a purpose-led kind of social enterprise and then into a um, for-profit but for-good enterprise, um, and and then along the way, kind of pivot or whatever the kind of trendy words are with that, you know, and then then become kind of a, an international investable kind of unit. Like, how's the journey been for you as this kind of thing keeps giving you a new job every 18 months? Yeah, um, it's probably my, my first answer to that is to have very flexible hips. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... Um, I think it's all a natural progression, right? It's it's all been a natural progression. Like the co-papa and the purpose has always remained the same at the heart of it, but the expression is different. I remember um, um that I spoke to Pat Sneedon, you know, this um, legendary like um, matua that um you know that that was you know part of the early days of with Ngāti Fatua Orake and and sort of support the building of Fairoa. Like um like he he said to me, you know, as I was in my twenties struggling with um. You know, I, I, I in my 20s, I felt like, man, if I go down this commercial path, like I'm kind of selling out on my community values. And and he looked at me dead in the eyes and he said, Rory, like, <laughs> get that shit out of your head. Like, your 
your commitment to your commercial outcomes is a commitment to your long-term social impact. And of course, that's true, isn't it? Because if, if we have no means of creating money, like if we wanted to hire, let's just say in Roscoe, there's 52, um, there's 52, last time I checked, it was 55,000 people in a population, 15% of that population is classified as um, not in education, employment or training. If we wanted to employ 15% of 50,000 people. We need, to, we need to turn over $150 million. <laughs> and so, like, the, the numbers and how to get there have changed. But why we do what we do, um, the practice of kaitiakitanga and uplifting the modi of, of te taiao and, and our moana, as well as, um, you know, being good, being good tipunga and ancestors so that our tamariki and our mokopuna can thrive for thousands of years, that's all been the same since day one. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And having that purpose and that, Papa and that that vision, oh. it helps drive you, right? It does, bro. And um, it certainly makes the the days. Where's isn't this? Every founder will tell you, bro. Like it's it's not easy. There there are hard days, but having a clear purpose and knowing your why, you know. Um, oh man, there's this beautiful story. Um, you know that um, Justice Joe Williams told. I remember him telling this. Um, I did a program called Leadership New Zealand, and he was the speaker at the end of our time together, and he told the story of how the Polynesians or Māori navigated um, the Pacific, Asia Pacific, to get to Aotearoa at the time, 800 years ago, was akin to man travelling the moon to the moon. Like the, the feet of the, um, the way that he told that story and, 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 um, and I suppose the principles that guide that story, which was like in 1970s, Nainoa Thompson was, wanted to learn the ancient art of Polynesian navigation without using instruments to go from Hawaii to, to Tahiti Nui. Like, um, he had to learn and, and like obtain all these skills. But one of it was, is um, you have to imagine your destination or the island that you're, 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 you're traveling to. You need to have to imagine and see that island clearly and have it in the back of your head. Because if you don't, and you're in a waka, and you're a navigator, and shit is tough. You can't see the land. There's this, this overcast and waves are hitting you, running out of food. Um, your crew will look to you on where to go. And if you don't see your island, you will die because you're the navigator and your crew will die too. So in many ways, um, you know, we, I take lessons, you know, from, you know, from the journey of, of, um, of my ancestors, of the journey of my para-ancestors. Um, I feel like um, even though that might be 4,000 years of separation, Chinese and Māori is probably... More Māori probably all come from China in some stage, but mm-hmm, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, so I take lessons from you know um, people that has come before me, and um, yeah, they remind me um, you know of, of what to do in the hard times. What advice would you have for people who are wanting to solve a problem and are wanting to make impact at scale? I think first of all, it starts. Maybe if I maybe start at the um, at the wider level, and then we'll bring it down into making it really pragmatic. So probably like um, on a wider wider level is actually about understanding. Man, it sounds real cheesy yeah, when we say this, bro, but it actually sounds like it's about knowing who you are, knowing where you're from, knowing your fucker papa, and what you are called to do. Like, what is um, you know, what is your co-papa? What is your purpose, right? And and having a clear vision. That is really important, first of all. And then it's about, um, like, doing the preparation to be able to get there. So I just probably, you know, like, falling back into the, um, like, uh, I'm not an expert in Polynesian navigation, so I'm just um, I'm just quoting from what Justice Joe Williams sort of told. But it's about, it's about like, understanding, it's about knowing, having a clear vision, know, um, know where to take your waka, and then 
preparing, doing the hard work and the preparation to be able to get there. However, the caveat here is, is that do the preparation, do the hard work, but if you're still not sure at the end and when you're ready to take off, just go anyway <laughs> and you'll figure it out as you go. Um, what that means for us at Critical, I think, um, you know, I think um, it's real practical wisdom here, like having a part-time job, like that's really important for any founder because you never know, like you really never know um, when something is going to take off enough for you to use use your venture to support your Infano. So having, you know, keeping your part-time job for as long as you can, <laughs> it's really important. Um, having a good co-founder, you know, where your values align, but they're also complementary to your skills. Um, it's also really important, right? Like you you, you never journey alone on, on this path. Um, and then I suppose the third thing is just consult and have a community of mentors and teachers, people who's done the journey themselves, who's a bit further along than you. Um, and have people to be able to just to share, you know, the, the burden and the load with um, emotionally and over time. Those are all very important. Yeah, yeah, love it. And as a final thought, what will success be for you personally and for Critical as a yeah, company bro. or an idea in the world? So the first one for us is um, it's about ending plastics pollution. Um, you know, we don't, we don't want to see plastics go into landfill or end up ending up in our moana anymore. Um, and Another big part of that will give me, you know, like, you know, at the end of my life I'll be pretty stoked about is um, the ability using our business to give people a second chance at work, at meaningful work as well as we scale. Um, the third part is um, providing the construction sector with a really beautiful, long-lasting material that, you know, actually uplift the, um, the, the aspirations of designers and architects who wants to do the right thing as well as create beautiful spaces. Like, I think the two... Two goes hand in hand, um, and then to lower carbon, so that you know I know that w- when I die, I can leave. Um, you know, I can be, I can contribute to to leaving um, Papatua Nuku in a better place, so that our kids can actually thrive. Um, that's so. Th- just returning to those four values for us, um, and seeing it happen, or seeing a contribution, a dent being put into that, will go a long way for me. Ah, that's magic. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story and your work, and. I can't wait to see where you take it next and the, <laughs> the journey from here. So thank you so much. That's Rui Ping of Critical. Kia ora. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So thank you to Rui. Thank you to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Teai Hei Butler. Do follow Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. E From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.